What a day. The longer I live here, the more I look forward to that day. Amen. You would take your Bibles, remain standing, uh, chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel. We're going to wrap up chapter 5 today, and um, I'll be honest with you, you know, the, there's six of these Old Testament passages that Jesus speaks to concerning the law, and this will be part two of this message of the law, the letter versus spirit, and the first three are a little bit more catchy, they're a little bit more sizzling, got a little bit more heat to them. Murder, adultery, and divorce, I'm in, all right, that's, that's, that's deep, serious stuff. Uh, maybe catches our attention a little bit better, but I'm here to tell you the last three that we're going to cover today, lying, retaliation, and love, are just as important, if not more important, foundationally to how we live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to do what I did last time. I'm going to try to read uh, not all the passage for time's sake, but I'm just going to try to skim. So if you will, jump in with me beginning in verse 33, and we're going to cover these three things, these three topics, uh, lying, retaliation, and love. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 33. Again, you've heard it said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all. And then he gives a bunch of different things that we're not supposed to swear on. And then in verse 37, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Verse 38, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Uh, verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, let's skip over to verse 43. You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Father, speak to us today through your word. Help us to be obedient to what you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So just as a way of reminder here, Jesus is clarifying in this passage how the law should be applied in the life of a believer. Remember, he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you, that he does that six times. You have heard it said, fill in the blank, but I tell you this. How could he do that? Why could he do that? Why could he take the Old Testament law and then say, but I'm telling you something different? Because he's the word. He's the, he's the word. He's the incarnate word of God. He is God himself the, third, the second part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, he can do that. And so he's given them clarification. Remember, the Pharisees, much like a lot of uh, religiosity that we see in the church today, viewed conformity to the law as their pathway to heaven. Conformity to the law is not how to get to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, once you come under the Lordship of Christ, the next natural step in the life of a believer is to conform to the law. Not the ceremonial law, not the civil law, but the moral law that God has laid out. We cannot be grace abusers. We cannot be those who say we belong to Christ and then we live according to the flesh. This is how we know that we have been saved. We have the Spirit of God working in us to make us into the image of His Son. 
So Jesus takes six Old Testament laws, interprets them in a way that focuses on the attitudes of our heart rather than just the amplitude of our actions. And the fourth one in his list is the first one we'll cover today, and that is lying. Deuteronomy 23.21 is what he quotes here in verse 33, and it says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to keep it, because he will require it of you, and it will be counted against you as sin. Um, the Jews, a lot of the Jews, and especially some of the Pharisaical Jews, some of the hypocrites, would make these oaths. They would swear, but they would swear by Jerusalem or the temple or their own head or something like that. Uh, it would be like when you hear people say, man, I swear on my kids or I swear on my wife or, you know, whatever. I swear on my dog blue or whatever that is. What they're doing is they're trying to give you some grandiose statement that makes you want to believe them. I'm just here to tell you, if that's what you have to do to get me to believe you, I'm probably going to go ahead and not believe you, okay? I'm just saying, if, if that's what you've got to do to get me to think that you're actually telling the truth this time versus all the other times that you've told me something, you know, it's like when you tell God, if you'll, ever, if you'll get me out of this, I'll never do it again. And what do you say, Sean? What do you put on the end of that? And this time I mean it, right? So that's what you're doing. When you're saying these, I swear on fill in the blank, what you're saying is, all right, Lord, this time I mean it. Or also, you know, when you do this to somebody you're trying to make a sale to, you're trying to pitch something. Hey, hey, I, I, hey man, I swear this is the best deal you're ever going to get. Hey, I swear on my head. I swear on Jerusalem. I swear on the temple. And what they were doing was they were trying to get around swearing to God. They didn't want to get themselves into a position where they said, okay, uh, Chris, Chris and I have had this conversation, and I have made a swear, an oath, to God above that I will keep my commitment. Well, obviously, if I break that, I'm in trouble, right? Because I've broken something that I've promised to God. So they were trying to finagle around it by using these other things to swear to, and he's telling them, don't do that. Because, see, they would be breaking the letter of the law by swearing to God and breaking it, but in their mind, they were getting around the letter of the law, and they were totally missing the spirit of the law. Now, this is not an, uh, speaking about taking an oath in a courtroom. A few years ago, I had to testify on behalf of my friend Derek, and, and I was the first time I did it especially, man, I was scared out of my mind. Anybody ever had to testify in a court case where you had to put your hand on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Eddie, I know you've done it a bunch of times, I'm sure. Eddie's probably like laughing at me thinking, you were scared, man, that's like changing shirts for me. I get that all the time. Listen, your boy had never done that before, and so I walk in this courtroom, and, and I know already I'm in the enemy camp, right? Because this, this, the guy I'm testifying for is the murderer. Okay, just, you know, full transparency. So I get up there and I put, and so before I'm, I'm getting ready to do that, I do a lot of study because I know there are a lot of denominations. There are a lot of groups that believe that you cannot do that. If you're a Christian, you cannot swear an oath on the Bible in a courtroom. I, I just don't agree with that. I think, that's, I think that's misinterpreting this passage. This is not talking about that. It's talking about the fact that believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, should live their lives as people who always do what they say they're going to do. Listen, if you're a Christian, if you claim Christ, if you tell somebody that you're going to do something, you ought to do it or die trying. Amen? Don't give somebody your word and then just take it as nothing because that's what causes us to have this reputation as hypocrites. That's also what causes us to feel in ourselves that we have to make some kind of grandiose statement of, I swear, I, I really seriously promise this time. We can never go back on our word if we're followers of Christ because we give our word knowing that we are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is not don't go to court and put your hand on the Bible. He's saying don't make these flippant oaths. 
And he's also speaking to a deeper truth in that we should understand the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. Our concern must be that we, uh, we live up to the spirit and not the letter. The letter of the law is us trying to get into heaven on our own works. The spirit of the law is that we are surrendered to Christ and we want to do whatever it is that he's called us to do in whatever mechanism he gives us to do it in so that we can point people to the gospel. Our lives should be of such high moral character that people assume we're being truthful without us making these grand gestures. Now, I think it was Abraham Lincoln that said, uh, character is the tree and reputation is the shadow. And that, that really impacted me. I, I, somebody mentioned it on the way out of the 830 this morning, how that spoke to him. I said, man, it convicted me when I was studying for, I think I was speaking to the youth at Southside, matter of fact, and I ran across that quote. I want to be a person of high character. And I hope that that will give me a good reputation. But I want you to hear me. If I'm more concerned with my reputation than my character, I've got it twisted already. I'm already working from a deficit because I'm more worried about what you think of me. Listen, I want Miss Jody to have a high opinion of me. But can I just tell you something? I want, I want Jesus to have a higher opinion of me. You see, your character is who you are when nobody sees you. Your character is the one who says, I know nobody's looking. I found this money on the ground and nobody saw me. I'm just going to take it in pocket and say, well, just bless the Lord. But see, character says, I need to find out who this is. I need to at least make a, a conscientious effort to try to return this to its rightful owner. See, that, that's where we got to fall when it comes to these uh, uh, proclamations of truth. Uh, listen to what James says. James, the half-brother of Jesus, James 5, 12 and I, I mentioned this in the first. It just kind of caught me as I was about to read it this morning. It's amazing to me that you hear what James says here in James 5.12 and you think he must have heard this from Jesus. Well, here's the thing. He wasn't at the Sermon on the Mount. See, when the Sermon on the Mount happened, James was still a denier of the Messiahship of Jesus of Nazareth. See, we read in John where James and his other brothers, the other half-brothers of Jesus, mocked him and said, hey, if you're the Messiah, go on down to Jerusalem, go on down to the festival and show, show all this power you say you have. See, they mocked him, and, and once he was resurrected, they became his followers. That's a really good de defense of the gospel, by the way. The, the, the historicity of Jesus and the resurrection, the fact that his very own brothers who mocked him in the book of John were people in his church once they saw him raised from the dead. But here's what he says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. You see, we fall under judgment when we tell somebody we're going to do something, we don't do it. And you say, well, that's just, that's not hurting anybody but that person. If I tell Grayson I'm going to bring him coffee in the morning, which is kind of a fruitless endeavor because he's had seven cups by the time he gets to the office, but if I tell him I'm going to do it and I don't do it, does that only hurt Grayson? No. Listen, every sin, no matter what sin it is, is first and foremost an affront to a holy God. If, if I tell Ron I'm going to do something and I don't do it, I'm breaking my promise to him, but I'm also breaking a promise to God because God expects me to be a man of my word, to let my yes mean yes and my no mean no. And when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it with any possibility. Now, I read a statistic a few weeks ago when I was looking this up that said that the average English-speaking person speaks or uses about 16,000 words a day on average. And I got to thinking about that, Eddie. I, I figure that's about 24,000 for women and about 8,000 for men. Does that sound about right? Kidding. 
That's an average, not a minimum requirement for some of y'all. I think sometimes we lay down to go to sleep at night, and I'm trying to go to sleep, and April's trying to get to her quota. <laughs> just jokes, just jokes. L- listen to what the author of Proverbs said, Proverbs 10:19. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. Now, some of y'all are looking at me right now saying, all right, brother, take that, take that uh, scripture to heart. What that's saying is when you rattle on, if you keep talking, eventually you're going to talk yourself into something you can't do. You're going to talk yourself into something that you can't possibly follow through with. And so when you use a lot of words, sin is unavoidable, but you control your lips. Can I just tell you, there's a lot of times when, I, listen, you know the song, Jesus, Take the Wheel? Look, Jesus, I got the wheel. You need to take my tongue. And there's other times when I tell people, I've given the Holy Spirit my tongue, but my facial muscles apparently are on their own. They're, they're living outside the Spirit or something. I'm trying. I'm working on it. April's like, they can tell you're mad. I'm like, good. Now I'm, not only, I'm just sinning once and not twice. Now I'm just mad. I'm not mad and a liar, okay? Here's what I would tell you. We'll close this if I'm not lying. I would just recommend this to you. Leave lying to the government. They're good at it, and they have a lot more practice. Point two, retaliation. This is another one that hits close to home. Again, it's not as glamorous as murder, adultery, and divorce, but retaliation is an important thing for us to think about, especially, I think, in the days that we're living in and the the days that seem to be on the horizon for us if we're truly followers of Christ. We're going to have to make some hard choices, y'all. In verse 38, Jesus here quotes Exodus 24, 21. He says, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, This is the Old Testament law calling for what needs to be done in retaliation, what what we need to see to get justice. Now, this is an important fact here. This is a one another command. This is talking about within the body of Christ primarily that we must not go about things in our church family, in our family of faith, the way the world goes about things. See, we don't work on the same schedule, the same... uh, uh, graph or scale that the world works under. It's important for us to understand that this is not a government policy command. Okay? If the government, if the laws of the nation say that there's a death penalty, then I support the death penalty. Whether whether that's right or wrong is is really something that they're just going to have to deal with with God. I believe that this is not speaking of government policies, but this is speaking of personal relationships. So if somebody hits me, I don't need to try to retaliate against them. Now, if somebody's trying to hurt my family, that's different. I can defend my family. If somebody's trying to take my life, I can defend myself. If we're going to war nation against nation, here's my point. When, when, uh, when Al-Qaeda blew up the Twin Towers, the Bible's not telling us to show them their, our next highest building. Does everybody understand? I know that's a touchy subject still, but I want to make sure we're clear. This is not a national policy scripture. This is a personal relationship scripture. Listen to how Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He tells us to be like-minded, sympathetic, to love one another, to be compassionate and humble. And here it is, verse 9, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. I've seen a lot of people that say that Christians should not protest. Christians should not picket. Christians should not say anything negative about anybody. I I just don't think that's what this word is saying to us. I think we take a, a stand for biblical truth, but we do it in love. 
We don't do it out of bitterness. We don't do it out of self-righteousness. We don't do it out of anger. We do it out of love. Romans 12, 17 and 18, Paul writes this, and I'm just going to be honest. This is something, this verse has brought me a lot of conviction as well as a lot of peace. Now, there's been a situation that I, I went through over the past few years that I really struggle with. Just, can, I, can I be transparent just a little bit? You know, I, I, I like to think of myself as having a pretty thick skin, but I also I have that soft underbelly. I, I, have, a, I have a tender side to me that, that I don't like to show people because when I was younger, it was taken advantage of, and, and I, I had to deal with a lot of drama and fallout from that. But, but I, I really don't like to be not liked. Now, if you don't like me because of something that I stand for that I'm really adamant about, then you're just going to have to not like me, and I can, I can make peace with that. But when I really don't think I've done anything wrong, when I can really go to, my, go to my knees in prayer and say, God, search me, see if there's any wicked way within me, point it out to me so I can repent, and God says, you're good. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of being a little flippant about that, but that's really kind of how God gives me that peace. When I say, look, Lord, if I've done anything wrong in this situation, I want you to convict me. And when I've done that, and I feel like I've done nothing to, 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 to uh, warrant the kind of uh, malicious attack, it, it bothers me. It keeps me up at night. It causes me a lot of stress. Uh, it is really, it's, it's hard for me to deal with. And so I read this verse, and I'm challenged by it, but I'm also comforted by it at the same time. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. There's the challenge. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. Just again, I'm just your pastor, and this doesn't sound very ministerial or whatever, but I'm just being honest. My, my knee-jerk reaction, now it's better now, friend, than it was maybe 15, 20 years ago, but it's still there. Old Kev's still in there. I battle that sucker every day. I've told you that. But see, I, I really want to, when I'm attacked, I want to say, oh, you want to go? Look, <laughs> you know, that's, my, that's just my gut instinct. I'm, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm went in the Navy. I'm, I'm have a fighter mentality. If you want to go, we'll go. All right, that's, that's my flesh. That's not honoring the Lord. So that verse challenges me. It says, give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Oh. So if I dot somebody's eye, is that honorable or not honorable? Not honorable. So see, again, there's the challenge. There's the conviction. But listen to this. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That takes a lot of pressure off. Because here's what I do. That person that, that thinks I'm the devil incarnate, and I know that I've done nothing to warrant that, I pray for them. I was talking to somebody recently going through a really tough situation, and here's what I told him. I said, do me a favor. Make me one promise. Through all this stuff that's going to happen in the days ahead as you proceed down this road, I want you to continue to pray for that person every day. Because it's really hard to carry a grudge against somebody you pray for. It's really, hard to, it's really hard to hate someone that you're praying for. Verse 41 is an odd verse. This is why context is so critical for us to understand what Scripture is saying. Verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. This was a common occurrence in this time. Reminder, in Rome, they did not, they did not have the ACLU. They did not have the, the, the Bill of Rights or the Constitution. There were no Miranda laws. If, if you were out there on the street as a Jew and a Roman soldier walked by and said, hey, come here, carry my pack. Yeah, okay. Because if you didn't, they could beat you up, they could throw you in jail. Really, I mean, as long as you didn't cause too much of a ruckus, the higher-ups above the Roman soldiers didn't care what you really did. 
as long as you didn't cause any kind of a revolt that caused problems or headaches for the higher-ups, the prefects, or even the emperor, there really wasn't a whole lot of law and order. They just kind of did what they wanted to do. So there was kind of this unwritten law, unwritten rule, that, that you, could, you could be forced to carry their pack, but you could only carry it for one mile. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Look at me. A mile is a lot longer than it used to be. <laughs> when I was a lot younger and a lot lighter, a mile wasn't nothing. I used to be like Austin and Cooper. Everywhere I went, I was like Forrest. I was running. Can I just tell you, I tried to run the other day and everything hurt. I don't know what I was doing. I can't remember, but I tried to run. I was like, oh, oh, oh. So a mile's a long way. I'm glad they made it to a mile. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, if they tell you to go a mile, go on too. Don't just stop at what's required. Go the extra mile. Go another mile. That's an amazing statement to a Jewish community that is under Roman oppression that he's telling them to, to have the attitude of a servant. Why would he tell them that? Why in the name of all that's good and kind, Lord, do I have to go two miles with these heathen, hateful Roman soldiers who are making me go a mile? I just want to be over here at grocery shopping. Imagine, Harold, that you're down there at the Winn-Dixie picking up produce and some Roman soldier comes by and says, Hey, you, drop your, drop your mushrooms and bananas and come out here and carry my pack. And you had to do it. That's a terrible inconvenience. That's really hateful for them to make me do that. So why would I go two miles? For the opportunity to point them to the cross of Christ. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to ser be served, but to serve. We are to be replications of Jesus. We are to be living out the very attributes that Christ exhibited while he was on this earth. And so if they ask you to go a mile, go two. And on that second mile, say, hey, can I talk to you about my Jesus? Every time I have some of these door knockers come to the house, can I talk to you about filling the blank? I'm like, I tell you what, I give you five minutes and you give me five minutes. I've never had one take me up on it. But I offer it every time. And we shouldn't misapply these verses to say that somebody in an abusive relationship or situation should just stay in it. But we need to see this passage as a command to keep the right perspective on ourselves and our mission for the kingdom. If you're in an abusive relationship, there's a time when you don't just turn the other cheek. You have to get out of that. They've proven that they don't, they're not going to change. You've got to go. This is not calling you to continually stand there and get beaten, continually stand there and get hit. It's a premise, not a, not a prescription. If somebody is attacking you, you don't attack back. You, you try to def deflect and get out of that situation. Jesus calls for us to abandon our personal rights when it will help advance the gospel. And this isn't because we don't matter, but rather because the gospel matters most. Warren Wiersbe said, It's a strong man who can love and suffer hurt. It is the weak man who thinks only of himself and hurts others to protect himself. So we've got to recalculate strength, men. Ladies too, but men, we have to recalculate our definition of strength. The culture tells us that personal opinions are most important, but what the Bible tells us is that pointing others to Jesus has got to be our focus. Now, there's a, a video, we're going to show it in just a second. Uh, there's a viral video that went around the internet 
I mentioned it in the first service, didn't play it. Daryl found it for me and posted it in the group if you want to see it on our Facebook group. But we're going to show it this morning. This is a, a Russian soldier who's been captured, apparently, or given himself up to the Ukrainians. And, and there's uh, maybe one Ukrainian soldier, maybe two that I see coming in and out. But they're giving him bread and tea. And, and, and I'll just let you watch the video, and I'll kind of try to narrate a little bit. Go ahead, Grayson. So these are all Ukrainian people around him. Do you see the phone? There's a Ukrainian soldier. I didn't know what was going on in the video. And I read, I found out, this girl is FaceTiming his mom in Russia. Look, look at the attitude of this man. Look at the humility. Look at the brokenness. He's obviously starving. And they've given him food and tea. I want you to watch when he talks to his mom. Watch him. That's, that is extra mile living. See, this young man is a pawn in an international chess game. We don't know what he was told. We don't know why he thinks he's there. We don't know anything about him. What they saw was a broken man who needed help, and they helped him. They showed compassion. It'd be a terrible thing if they did that better than the church. If you want to later, we don't have the time to get into it today, but if you want to look at it, 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, verses 8 through 23. 2 Kings 6, 8 through 23. You see Elisha doing a similar good deed during times of war to the Arameans. The third and last one we're going to cover today, the sixth one that Jesus covers is love. And those of you that, that you may have a, a caption at the top of your uh, paragraph called Love Your Enemies like mine does, He's quoting Leviticus 19.18 here in verse 43. He says, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, why does he say, I am the Lord? Why does he put that on the end? Because if you're telling me to love my wife, love my kids, love people who love me, love people who feed me, love people who uh, do things that I like, I'm good with that. I don't need any kind of uh, caveat to why you tell me to do that. That's like telling me to love banana pudding. I got it. Hey, Kevin, love sweet tea all over it. But when you say love your enemies, I'm going to be like, what? He says, I'm the Lord. He's putting a strong point of emphasis, if you will, maybe an exclamation point at the end of this to say, because I said to do it, you need to do it, and I'm the Lord, and that's why we need to do it. The word love he uses here, you know, we talked about this before. There's several words for love in the Greek, and this is agapao. 
agapao, and it means to love in a social or moral sense. It involves commitment. It involves faithfulness. It involves an act of the will. This is not me loving someone who is lovable. This is me deciding that I'm going to love someone and loving them. When, when we got married, April and I promised to love each other. We promised to love through thick and thin and, and through health and wealth and, and everything in between. And, and most of the time, I love her because she's beautiful and sweet and funny and talented and, and awesome. But then there's that 0.2% of the time when I love her because I promised God that I would. That's agapao love. That's when I have made a decision, an act of the will, that I will show love. And this is what we're called to do here. We are called here to be known for our love. Not to love the people who love us only and hate our enemy, but to love our enemies, to love those who persecute us, to pray for those people who persecute us. As a matter of fact, uh, Matthew Pollard, who was the youth pastor at Rehoboth when we were there, he's, he's a youth pastor again there now, I think. Uh, but Matthew used to always, every time Matt would open the service at Rehoboth, he would do the announcements and then he would recite this verse. And it always struck me, it's what a great way to get our mind focused on what we're here to do. And it's John 13, 35. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. This is Jesus speaking. Now think about all the different things Jesus could have said would be our, our identifying mark that we belong to him. Get a tattoo of a cross on you, and that's how people will know. Put a Jesus sticker on your car or your, your truck or your boat. Uh, wear a bracelet. Wear a T-shirt. Wear a necklace with a cross on it. No, he didn't say any of that. He could have said by your denomination. He could have said by the number of verses you've memorized, for how well you know the Bible, for how, how well you exegete Scripture. For if you're an expositor of Scripture as a teacher, then that will show that you're mine. He, he could have used a, lot, a litany of different things he could have said would be the marking identifier that we belong to him. And what did he use? He used love. Agapao, love. A force of will that we decide we are going to love this person. That will be the identifier that we belong to Christ. Even the law didn't call for hating your enemies. We like to think sometimes, I think, that these are like newfangled things that Jesus is throwing, you know, like curveballs at them. No. Listen to Exodus 23, 4 and 5. If you come across your enemy's stray ox or donkey... You must return it to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you lying helpless under its load and you want to refrain from helping it, you must help with it. Now, I know that just blesses your heart because I'm sure all of you have been traveling around from time to time and seen somebody's donkey, that, somebody who hates you, seen their donkey weathered under a load. Anybody? No. So what do we do with that? Do we, all right, well, let's, if I don't see their donkey under a load, I can hate them. That's not what it means. It means that you go the extra mile to look out for that person who hates you. I, I can't tell the story because it would be just, I'm not telling tales, but I did this. I, I basically extended an olive branch and had the person take the olive branch and beat me about the head and shoulders with it. So do I stop doing that? No. Why? Because God told me not to. Yeah, but he hates you. That's not my problem. Hatred toward me is, listen, by the way, just can I just tell you all this? Ain't nobody in here hates me worse than I do. I, I get on my last and final nerve 99% of the time. My problem is not that somebody hates me. My problem is that I've got to be obedient to what God has called me to do. And I continue to look out for that person even if they don't want me to. It's also referenced in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. And it gives a double benefit of living this way and, and explains it. Listen to Proverbs 25 21 and 22. 
If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. How well do you think God knows us that he says, hey, be really nice to somebody. And he sits there going, yeah, but if I tell him that. I tell you what, be really nice to somebody because in doing that, you're heaping burning coals on their head. And we're like, <laughs> we got it, okay? See, we can retaliate to an extent and please God at the same time by looking out for the well-being of our personal enemies. How, listen, how glorious is that, that God explains it in a way that we can grasp even in our flesh? Do good to people. It'll drive them nuts. The key to this whole passage, I think, is in verse 47 when Jesus asked this question, what are you doing out of the ordinary? What he basically says, hey, if you, if you love people who love you, whoop-de-doo. Woo, let's get a ticker tape parade for you. You love people who love you. Bravo. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to love people who don't love us. We're called to love people who hate us. Listen, we're called, listen to me, we're called to love the atheist. We're called to love the LGBTQ plus who hates what we do and hates what we stand for. We're, we're called to love the pro-choice crowd. We're called to love those who don't think politically like we do. Can, can I just go one step further with you? And, and I'm not being facetious about this. This is not meant as a joke. And I know this is small fish compared to what we're talking about otherwise. But, you know, when, when Alabama lost to Georgia in the national championship game, people who didn't really like Georgia still celebrated Alabama losing. And by the way, before you think this is a homer thing, it's not. Auburn had a very good basketball team this year. They had a really good season. They went to the NCAA tournament and got put out early. And I heard people who don't have any, I couldn't even tell you who Auburn got beat by, but they were celebrating that Auburn got beat. Anybody ever watched The Simpsons? I, I wasn't going to do this again, but I'm just too dumb not to. I think they teach that in like preaching classes, don't use The Simpsons as an illustration. Like, this is a stream of consciousness, though. All right, there's this kind of kid in the Simpsons, and he was sort of the agitator. He was Bart's nemesis, and he was always, he would just show up, and this is what he's known for. He's known for pointing his finger and going, ha, ha. Everybody remember that? All right, that can't be you, man. You can't be a professing follower of Jesus and be, ha, ha, every time something bad happens to somebody you don't like. That's not, that's not edifying. That's not glorifying the Savior. When, when, when you see somebody having a bad day and you mock them for it, you see somebody having a struggle and you make fun of them. By the way, listen to me, church. Don't get on your high horse and think that you're, you've got everything whipped because you don't sin like somebody else does. Just because they sin differently doesn't make you better than them. We've got to be known for love. We can't be known for retaliating. We can't be known for mocking. We can't be known for being on our high horse. We need to be known for people who love. We are called to live differently. We're called to, call to, to point people to Jesus. We're called to see everyone like Jesus sees them. I think the biggest part of uh, the biggest problem with Christianity in America is that we want to go to heaven. We want to say we follow Jesus, but we want to live like everybody else. I think we want to cling to the cross in the middle of the storm, but we want to cling to our ego the rest of the time. That's not how it works. You are all in or you are out. You are all in on being a follower of Jesus or you are a fake, fraud, phony, and you're lost. 
Let me ask you this question. We seem to keep circling back to this scripture. Me and Grace were talking about the other day. He had used it in some of his teaching too. If God didn't approach us that way, where would we all be? God is sinless. He's just. He's perfect. He's holy. He never sinned. What if he looked at you and said, hey, you need to get to my level before I'll love you? Romans 5, 8. But God proves his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 48 is another one that's kind of confusing. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father is perfect. Uh, this is a call for completion, maturity, rather than a call for sinlessness. Obviously, we need to set the bar at sinlessness. You know where the bar was set? At Jesus. That's the bar. You're trying to impress God. God, look how holy I am. He said, how are you, sinless? Nah, not really. Well, then you get you got to get up. You've got to continue to be conformed to the image of his son. You've got to continue to study the word, get into the word so it gets into you so you can live it out. It ought to, you ought to just sweat Bible. That's how You ought to have the Bible in you so that you just, it just seeps out of everything that you do. And that's where our bar is set. Listen to what James, will go back to him. James 2.10. For whoever keeps the entire law. Now listen, this would be powerful words for the Pharisees. It's powerful words to the American church. Whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. So you can't go to God and say, look at all this stuff I've done. There's just this one thing. You know what he's going to say? That one thing is enough to get you into hell. I never cussed. I never lied. I never fornicated. I never committed adultery. I never murdered anybody. Did you cheat? Did you gossip? Did you? You see, we can't get there on our own. That's what we need to understand. Murder, adultery, divorce, lying, retaliation, and love. Six concepts from the Old Testament that Jesus puts into practical terms for us to live out so that we can understand the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. You see, our tendency is to focus on the outward expressions of our faith, but we always need to remember that God is primarily concerned with our motives. And I'll, by the way, I'll tell you this, if you get your motives right, the other stuff will take care of itself. When you live with the right motives, when you live to exalt Jesus, when you live to glorify the Savior, when you live to be, I keep going back to this, to be conformed to the image of His Son, when you live as Christ and know that to die is gain, that's when you glorify God because your motives drive your actions. If you're just trying to act right so people have a good opinion of you, but, in, but in the, in, where nobody sees and nobody talks about, where you want to talk about at dinner parties, you're sinful and broken you are what Jesus would refer to as a whitewashed tomb, pretty and clean on the outside, but inside full of dead man's bones. I'm reminded of 1 Samuel 16, 7. Again, I love this, this, this whole story. is really cool where Samuel goes and says, that's Jesse's oldest son. He's the, he looks like the man. He's, he looks the part of a king. It must be him. Here's what God said to him, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
So how, how do we boil, just we, two weeks of working through these, Brother Kevin, how do, we, how do we summarize these six Old Testament commands that Jesus clarifies for those of us under the new covenant? Here, here's what I think it is. Prioritize the gospel above your own needs and make sure people know you belong to Jesus more than anything else they know about you. You take all my accolades, all my accomplishments, diplomas and anything else, the, all my likes and follows and retweets and all that other gobbledygook. You take my abilities as a husband, as a dad, as a minister, as a friend, as a son, as a brother. If people don't see Jesus in me, all that other stuff is wasted. It's not enough to adhere to the rules. We must abide in the Redeemer. There's a Christian rapper, and, and at least there's more Christian rap fans possibly in the 11 and the 8.30 this morning. But I know we got one in here. Austin's a big fan of this guy. He goes by the name KB. Uh, by the way, really solid, solid theology in his songs. Here, here's something he said that really struck me as I was looking at this and just thinking about this concept of... of uh, the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. People don't care if you keep Christ in your Christmas if they cannot see there's Christ in your Christian. Let me read that again. People don't care if you keep Christ in your Christmas if they cannot see there's Christ in your Christian. What about you today? <clears throat> Are you more concerned with people making sure when they write Christmas, they write C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-S? Are you more focused on that? Or do you concern yourself more that they see C-H-R-I-S-T in you? As always, these invitation times are really just a time for you to respond to the Holy Spirit. I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago, and I heard a guy say uh, that he was saved when he was six years old, but he never was under conviction until he was in his 20s. And, and I won't go into the reasons why. He, there's some problems there, too. But it just dawned on me that if you say you were saved at six and you never were under conviction of any kind until you were 20-something, you were lost in those, in those years. You see, conviction is the marker of the Holy Spirit operating within the life of a person. If there's no conviction, there is no Holy Spirit. If you do wrong and you don't care, you are lost. The Holy Spirit is there to convict you when you do wrong. Whether that's an overt sin that everybody sees, a sin of commission as we would hear it preached, or a sin of omission when you just do something that nobody else knows about. That conviction is what lets us know we're connected. That the Holy Spirit is still delving into our lives and dealing with us on an internal basis. So as, as we're preaching through this, okay, murder, I've never killed anybody. Have you hated? Adultery, I've never cheated on my spouse. Have you lusted? Divorce, are you quick to throw stones? Listen, people in glass houses should not throw stones. What about lying? You ever told somebody something wasn't true? You ever swore to try to get somebody's attention that you're really serious this time? What about retaliation? Do you feel that need to, to strike back when somebody strikes out at you? 
What about love? Can you really say that you have that agapo, agapao love where you love as an act of will, as a, a mindful decision that you make to love somebody who may not be very lovable? If you're here today and the Holy Spirit is prompting you that you need to be saved, I'm going to pray in a minute. When I say amen, I want you to sprint. I want you to get up here and confess Christ. If you need to rededicate your life through these sermons, you've realized these six things that maybe you struggle with some of them. And maybe through that you realize that your walk with Christ is not where it needs to be. And right now the Holy Spirit has got his holy finger right on that spot in your heart that you know needs to be cleaned up. I want you to respond in faith. If you need to join the letter, move move your letter to the church, join the church, whatever you need to do. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to be responsive to the Holy Spirit. Because it really doesn't matter if you're responsive to me. I'm, I'm a conduit. I'm a messenger. But the Holy Spirit of God, if he's prompting you to do something, you have one opportunity to be instantly obedient to the creator of the universe. My earnest prayer, my plea, I am begging you to be obedient this morning. So if you would stand with me, I'm going to pray. When I say amen, listen to me. Whatever the Holy Spirit is pushing on in your life, and you know there's an issue you need to get right, you just need to come pray at the altar. You need to come have somebody pray with you. You need to come talk to me. Whatever that is, when I say amen, you move. Don't wait. Don't look around. Don't hesitate. You move. Let's pray. Father, this is your time. It always is. And I pray, God, that you would have free reign in this place, that you would uh, touch the hearts of people, anybody here that has any kind of a conviction about some of these things we've talked about. I pray you would point it out and give them the strength to make it right, to confess their sins, to go to a person that they know and, and, and need to make something right with. God, whatever you're calling on us to do, I pray that we would be instantly obedient. I pray that your spirit would give us the boldness to do that. And I pray it in the strong name of Jesus who deserves all glory, honor, and praise. Amen.